My story is going to start off uh, with uh, my daughter on her first date, and I was sitting in the parking lot of a sushi restaurant waiting for her to come out, wondering what my future was going to hold now that she was uh, dating, when I got a call from the State Department uh, saying that the U.S. government was interested in repatriating a set of Americans back to the country, and could we help to facilitate this in the next 72 hours? The next 72 hours were a bit of a blur. Um, I was fairly new to the job. I'd been on the job about six months. I had told my predecessor before me that um, I wanted to be like him when I grew up. I was always admired his ability to be hard on the issues but kind on the people. And I never really thought that I would have the opportunity to be the chief medical officer. And while I had figured out the passcode to the bathroom door, I really hadn't fully figured out the jurisdictions between local, state, and federal territories when it comes to repatriating Americans from another country. And so we had a lot to learn. And uh, fortunately, there's an amazing team that I get to work with in that process. And the ask was simple. A plane that was going to come from China was going to need to come to California. But this wasn't just any plane. This was a retrofitted Ebola plane. And the reason it was a Ebola plane is that way they could separate the air space from the crew, from the passengers, so that we could safely fly from one to the other. And when they made these Ebola planes, they didn't have the passenger, they didn't have the capacity to fly all the way from China to California. So it needed to stop here, and it needed to refuel. But it was unsafe to refuel in the winter with people on board, and so the passengers would need to disembark. Um, they would need to go through a screening, and then the plane would refuel, and then it would take off and continue on its way to California. And so that was our job, was to make sure that this went through safely without any uh, hitch, without any problem. And it was a pretty amazing team of federal, state, and local uh, officials trying to figure this out and what this is going to look like. Lots of reviewing of patient manifestos, coming up with backup planes, and figuring out where we're going to go. And the plane landed. We had an emergency operation uh, center stood up in place. And when we heard the plane land, we had uh, a little walkie-talkie, and we could hear what was going on. And we heard the entire plane erupted into joy and cheering when they had hit the tarmac. Um, and the reason is, is because they were stuck in the middle of this rapidly spreading pandemic in a city that was on rapid lockdown. And they knew friends and family who had escaped into the cloak of darkness out of Wuhan at that time, and they were desperate to get home. We also heard that there was a medical emergency on board. And as a practicing emergency medicine physician, my first thought is someone's bleeding to death or they've had a heart attack. Um, and I also have learned as a mountaineering guide, you have to stop and pause before you react. And so we stopped and assessed, and it was a sweet little girl who had been running to the plane because her parents thought this was their only chance to get out of the city that was under siege by this virus. And she had fallen and hurt in her arm, and so they had wrapped her up and got her on the plane and waited until they could land here. And so with a sling and a swath and a stuffy that some volunteers had given, uh, she was able to board back on the plane and the medical emergency was diverted. And at 2 a.m. when that plane took off, I looked at the three different press releases that we had had written, one for our worst case scenario, one for you know, a lot of unknowns, and one for our best case scenario. And I felt a huge sense of relief when I picked up that best case scenario one. And I added to it what we learned that night. And it was a reminder that when we put our patients first, that we remember that the rest is noise. This wasn't about repatriation. This wasn't about a virus. This was about people. And this was about helping each other. And so we were able to share that. And that was the beginning of our operation. 
That was 556 days ago today. It was a lot of days ago. And there have been many things that have happened uh, since that time and since uh, we first learned about this virus. I actually first learned about this virus uh, when I was on a run with my predecessor at negative 13 degrees uh, up the Butte and the Valley. And we got a cup of tea afterwards. And on the phone, he got a call. And I remember him saying, this sounds a lot like a coronavirus. This could be really bad. And I remember him looking at me and saying, we're going to have to watch this closely. I remember that day with the repatriation. I remember being in DC with my other state health officials with the first federal uh, conference where they were talking about uh, the coronavirus. And we heard that there was community transmission for the first time. And we all looked at each other and said, is this really gonna happen? Is this really gonna take off? I remember a CDC official sharing that she had told her kids that they need to be prepared for school shutting down. And I remember thinking about my own kids and what is this really gonna mean? And what were the decisions that lay ahead of us and how there was gonna be impossible decisions and no easy answer? I remember meeting in the governor's office more times than I can count with PPE spread across the entire table and testing swabs and talking about ventilators and masks and um, everything that we could potentially do to be able to look for this virus. We were desperate to have testing. We'd been told that we would only get testing in the state based on our number of cases, and uh, we just can't compete with the numbers compared to someplace like New York or California. I remember one night we got down to six swabs that we could find in an entire state to be able to do testing and desperate for any ability to see this virus and be able to protect our healthcare workers. I remember talking to our colleagues in New York and in the Navajo Nation, seeing that the virus just come out of nowhere and completely overwhelm their community, where it would be one person they'd be transferring out a day, and then pretty soon it was one patient that they were transferring out an hour until they were losing hundreds of people in their communities. I remember going out to Dillingham and meeting Chief Tilton, who he shared the 1918 pandemic and what that looked like for his grandparents. When they came back to the, uh, to the village, they saw children and dogs and most of the adults had died. And the Dillingham Hospital that's now built in the orphanage built out of the 1918 pandemic. And thinking about the people that had been lost and the culture and the tradition over the past 100 years and wondering what that was gonna look like for our state and what we were gonna do together. There were absolutely awful moments. I remember very clearly a health aide uh, in a village who had gotten COVID and the weather turned bad and we couldn't get him out of the village and he died in the arms of his loved ones and we were unable to move him out of there. Every single one of those numbers, every single one of those cases was a person and continues to be a person. And there was tremendous hope, being able to see the vaccine spread across the state and see ferries and planes and dog sleds all working collectively together to get this vaccine out and available and to be on the offensive against this virus uh, was a tremendous sense of gratitude and just relief in so many different ways. And here we are. So 556 days since that operation place stood. The virus has changed. We have this Delta variant now spreading. I know that when I'm gonna go into another emergency department shift, I'm gonna see exhausted nurses and staff who've been working so hard throughout this pandemic. I'm gonna take care of another patient with COVID who will say to me, I didn't think it was gonna be this bad. I didn't think I would get sick. I just thought it was gonna be the flu. And I will wonder yet again, what we could do differently to be able to explain what this can really look like. And I'm gonna tell my heart attack patient or my stroke patient, there's nowhere to go right now. And I'm gonna wish that we just were able to work together in this space. But throughout all this, I've looked around the country, I've looked around the community, and I've looked around the state. And whenever I see a community come together and realize that the virus is the enemy and not each other, 
that's when we come together. And that's what in many ways Alaskans have done. When we remember to put each other first, we remember that the rest is noise. Thank you.